and welcome. I always do the Jamie intro, man. Maybe I should do my own. Yeah. Yeah, I always do the Jamie can, intro. Okay. You can, you want to do it? Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, do, yeah, I can do it. Or do you want to do, do it? it? All right, I'll do it. Um, all right. Well, uh, if you're listening, uh, you probably already know the sound of my voice, but this is Everybody Loves Communism, and I'm Aaron Thorpe, today joined by my co-hosts. I'm Jamie Peck. And I'm Jorge Rocha. And uh, today we are going to, uh, this this podcast is called Everybody Loves Communism, and uh as communists, we uh, we do not love uh, elections that much. But since the midterms happened, uh, we're recording this on Sunday the 13th, and the midterms happened just last week, uh, figured we would, we would talk about it since there was a lot of anxiety around it. And uh, today we're actually joined by Sam Sachs, who is, uh, I, would, I call him America's most trusted newsman, uh, as the host <laughs> of Means Morning News. Uh, which is a daily news show featuring a variety of original reporting, interviews, guests, and analysis from voices across the revolutionary left. And of course, this is under uh, Means TV, which is known as the anti-capitalist Netflix. And uh, if you are not subscribed to Means TV, uh, you should, and you should check it out. Uh, Do it. Sam is also the co-host of the District Sentinel, a news cooperative focused on covering policy from a leftist perspective, I believe, with his co-host, Sam Knight, um, who is also a very another very good Sam. So, uh, thanks, Sam, so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Yeah, good to be here. Uh, good intro, except I would probably say I'm America's most high newsman. <laughs> most high <laughs> newsman, which is why you're America. Why you are to me America's most trusted newsman. True, true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't trust people who don't get high. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's not true. Blah blah blah. Sorry to our sober listeners, but it really does like speak to me as a high American. Listen, if you've never, if you've tried weed and you don't like it that's fine. But if you haven't tried weed because of some weird Puritan aversion, uh, I'm going to think you're pretty weird. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, kids, uh, listen up. <laughs> listen up, smoke <laughs> drugs, okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, um, all right, so... Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Jamie. Well, we're going to talk about the midterm elections. Ooh, ooh. Oh, my God. And, you know, I kind of went back and forth as to whether this was a necessary episode to do... Uh, I, one, one of you guys mentioned, like, it, wouldn't it be weird if we covered the Brazilian elections and then we did not cover the U.S. ones? And I was like, <laughs> no, that would be based as fuck, actually, because uh, I'd say the Brazilian elections were quite a bit more relevant to socialism, even communism, you know, the mm -hmm. purported topics of our show. But then I took another look and I was like, you know what? If Mike Davis, rest in power, isn't too good to analyze U.S. elections, then neither are we, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> me, and I mean, D digging, dig, we're digging through the shit to try to find any pearls of socialist wisdom in there, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I would say, too, that, like, uh, you know, all elections, I mean, feel like American politics in general are spectacle. But, I mean, as in every election, you know, they say that this is the most important election of our lifetime. Um, you know, I voted because I have friends that are queer or trans, you know, I have friends that, um, you know, deserve the right to like autonomy of their own bodies, right? Um, in terms of abortion. So I mean, especially living in the South, at least with stakes like that, you know what I mean? I was like, okay, this is like, this is more, at least to me, one of the most materially impactful can be possibly ele elections in my truly in my lifetime, at least for people that I know, you know? So, uh, yeah, I guess it, it just kind of uh, sculpt the landscape, I guess, of like not just socialist organizing, but like just people's ability to just live every day, day to day, you know? 
Yeah. There were a lot of right-wing psychopaths running, I guess is what we're trying to say. And, you know, if we have to choose between the slightly less evil status quo and, you know, fucking fascists and neo-confederates, we begrudgingly and joylessly choose the former. Mm. But let's get into it. Um, Oh, oh, fuck. We forgot. We need Mm. a plug. Let's do it in the beginning. Because you never know, you know, people might get distracted towards the end. Uh, Not our fault, obviously. Um, (laughs) But if you like what you hear in this episode, then be sure to subscribe to either at fans.fm or Patreon at fans.fm at everybody loves communism or patreon.com slash everybody loves communism. We need support from listeners like you to ensure we provide radical left content that is independent. Also, be sure to rate us five red stars on Apple Podcasts and even leave us a review if you're feeling so inclined. All right, now that's out of the way. Um, all right, thank you, Jamie, for, uh, you You and Jorge are so good at the plugs. I, oh, I never know you. when to drop them, but uh, all right, I guess- I'm trying to be better about it. No, no, you're good, man. I haven't even done it yet once. Uh, but I guess to start us off, um, so I guess like, like overall, Sam, generally, what what are your overall impressions of the results? Um, like we just talked about in the beginning, you know, not that any of us here are Democrats, you know, uh, or true believers of liberal bourgeois democracy. But do you think there is cause for some celebration or at least a lessening of anxiety, um, I guess, because it seems like the rights culture war, and I'm putting culture war in quotations because I hate that phrase. I think these are issues that materially impact people's lives, as I was saying earlier, and to make it seem as if they're these aesthetic nuances, I think is like not only offensive, but kind of losing sight of a larger actual class war, right? Um, But that being said, uh, the right, it seems like the right's uh, just hyper-focus on the trans panic, on CRT, especially with relation to school boards, but generally from every level of government, it seems like that was rejected by voters. Abortion. And I put seemingly into quotations, and maybe maybe you can share some or cast some doubts on that as well. But uh, what are your overall results, given that the GOP gave uh, more than lackluster performance than what was expected from them? Well, uh, I would say things probably could have been worse. I'm not sure there's much reason to be uh, too optimistic, though, or to lessen the anxiety all that much. It, there's still a lot in, in the balance in terms of the House. I mean, there's still a chance right now that Democrats can keep the House. And if that happens, then I guess there's a little bit more uh, of a defense against some of these really harsh reactionary elements that have come to the forefront on the right. Um, so, uh, but it doesn't, it's going to be tough for them to do it. So you're going to have a situation where Republicans control the house, Democrats control the Senate. So there is not going to be any sort of, uh, Biden agenda, whatever semblance of agenda there was to begin with. Um, you're going to see people like Joe Manchin empowered a lot more, even more in the Senate. And you'll probably see a call to, uh, strike some grand bargain on cutting entitlement programs. Um, this is something that Biden has supported most of his political career, and only in the last year or two he's claimed that he wouldn't do it. Um, can I can I ask a question real quick, Sam? Why do sure. you? I mean, I guess I have my answer, but um, given the 180 on something like entitlements, right? Um, I mean, I think it's obviously like the power of not just the Sanders campaign, but I would say the organized left, right? And just 
you know, constituency. But why do you think that he won 80 on that? What do you, there's, you think there's some calculus there? Uh, I think it's just political messaging right now. Um, mm. And even that, you know, Democrats want to portray Republicans as the party that's going to cut Social Security and Medicare. And we're the party that's going to protect it, even though you have Joe Manchin going out there and talking about how he's ready to cut some sort of deal. And I could see something where... Uh, they like agree to raise the cap on what percentage millionaires pay into their social security taxes. But in, in doing so, they also agree to like lower benefits or to cut off certain benefits. Mm -hmm. So some shitty deal could be worked out. I, I don't, um, you know, there's going to be already Republicans challenging McConnell in the Senate for his leadership. You have Rick Scott yeah. challenging McConnell, which is a bit of a strange challenge considering Rick Scott was the head of the Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee. So if anybody is that, sh shit the is bed that the here, Lex Luthor? Is that yes. the Lex Luthor looking motherfucker? Okay. Yeah, okay. he's the yeah he's the former guy from Florida who was he okay. heavily involved in Medicare fraud, um, and now he's <laughs> like, because he had he was the CEO of hospitals right in Florida. Yeah, yeah, and Oof. um, so yeah, I mean he was in charge of Senate campaigning and. I, like, if there's any major failure for Republicans out of the midterm, it's how bad they did in these Senate races where Democrats were all playing defense and they still ran the table in most of these races, the Democrats did. Um, so I, whereas McConnell has been uh, a pretty effective leader for the Republicans, and that's not to hand it to him or anything, he's, mm. uh, you know, a monster. Um, mm -hmm. But the way he's been able to keep a... Republican minorities grip on power for the last few decades and solidify that power in the Supreme Court has been something that'll probably be talked about for a long time. Mm. Uh, and also you had fighting between Mitch McConnell and Peter Thiel over some of these candidates that <laughs> Thiel funded and threw into races and Thiel did buy the Ohio Senate race with J.D. Vance. Right. Uh, we'll see what he wants out of that. But he I, also I still can't believe I still can't believe that that like that and the Walker. We'll talk about Georgia later. But that yeah. and like the runoff, you know, that's just my mind is still blown. You know, I'm just, well, when you consider fucking, fucking J.D. Vance, I can't believe people voted for a guy who looks like that. <laughs> he looks like, he really looks like just, a fucking Ewok dog. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a testament to the power of Trump's endorsement, I guess, as well as, you know, uh, record breaking amount of Peter Thiel money. But uh, but we digress. Yeah. I mean, Thiel doesn't have a good record right now because I think that was the only race that people who he, he supported that won, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he spent more on J.D. Vance than anyone has ever spent on a Senate candidate in history. Jesus Christ. And uh, you can see how he won considering his opponent was Tim Ryan, who... People probably remember Tim Ryan from his like three or four week stint in the Democratic primary in 2020 when right. he styled himself as the guy who will talk quieter as opposed to Bernie who yells too much. And he yeah. started. Yeah, he was trying to tell Bernie, Bernie, use your inside yes. voice. Use your inside voice. Don't right? yell. Don't yell. No need Don't to yell. Angry. He released bumper stickers and pins and t shirts. He's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, no yeah, yelling. Yeah. Uh, I remember that. And he ran to the right of Joe Biden and like he was skeptical of student debt forgiveness. Right. So, yeah, of course, he got trounced. He was a bad candidate and uh, he got beat. But Teal also funded uh, Blake Masters, who oh, yeah. out in Arizona. And there was uh, some fighting between McConnell and Teal over 
McConnell didn't have as big of a war chest to support all these candidates that mm. Teal had thrust into the spotlight. He was basically asking Teal to pick up the bill for J.D. Vance and Blake Masters during the general, and Teal was like, no. So, um, you know, if, I don't, I'm not sure McConnell shares much blame for, like, Arizona losing as much as it's people like Rick Scott and, and, and Peter Teal there, but... Uh, I, I mean, Blake I, Masters was also a terrible candidate. I mean, he was just like uh, part of the oh. whole reason that Mark Kelly won. It was like, like it was people been sharing a lot on social media that in the debate was like literally some basically saying, "Look at this guy. Look at this <laughs> yeah, guy. Look at this like Trump. I'm a fucking astronaut. Look at this fucking yeah. guy." Yes. <laughs> well, but also just like this guy is like a like uh, a loser. This guy's just like uh, a like liar. He's telling, he, he thinks he knows everything. He, he also is like uh, looks down upon people, looks down on minorities, looks down on women, like. How can you vote for this guy? And it turns out that win that works. Okay, but yeah. but one thing I'll say though is that Tim Ryan, there was a uh, anytime I'm like I'm not a fucking I'm not into this shit. No, I am a wonk, yo. There was this debate right between <laughs> Ryan and fucking um and um and and Vance. JD Vance, right? And there was Ryan was saying he was getting booed at first for bringing up January sixth. But then he said, like, it doesn't matter what your politics are. Like, a police officer died that day, right? Like, oh we, we as Americans shouldn't stand for this. And then in the 180, the crowd started cheering. Now, I know that crowd reactions, I mean, this is all fucking theater. This is not a litmus test, like, a, a, not a litmus, but a barometer, I guess, right, for support. But I would have thought that, like, like, and I guess this kind of panned out, right? You did see, like, voters reject some of these more insane, teal-backed, but also culture war candidates. But... I guess J.D. Vance was just able to eke it out, man. I guess he was, uh, I guess, I don't know. I'm still surprised oh, by that. Ohio's gone red. I mean, Ohio's a pretty red state now. Uh, true, true. They had, uh, what's-his-face, who was the governor there for a while, uh, the Kasich. Um, oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, the moderate, quote, moderate Republican. Yeah, yeah I'll, just, I'll just say, lastly, that, like, a lot of the transphobia and stuff did win at a local level in states. Um, and I'm not sure we, you know, there might be, there's a lot of triumphalism right now among Democrats. They, that like they have, they have won. Uh, everything is fine. Now we have beat back Trumpism, And a lot of them are a little too, uh, happy about DeSantis being the new guy like they're they're like mocking yeah. <laughs> Trump in a way that helps DeSantis and you saw the Lincoln project cut at, cut an ad now in yeah, which right. they are trying to mock Trump but also boost DeSantis's candidacy uh even though DeSantis is worse than Trump in almost every I way mean, he's he's leading the trans panic right now yeah exactly country, honestly, like you know <laughs> yeah it, he's he's awful and uh you know, a big reason why Republicans lost, I, I won't say that, that that was a factor. I think that they did get into this conservative bubble a bit where they thought that a lot of people think like Matt Walsh thinks and, th and think right. that this is a big issue. And it does have a constituency, unfortunately, in this country in certain areas. But yes. to the broader electorate, they don't really care about that shit. Um, or don't like it. Yeah, yeah, they don't care about it. And they're turned off by it, especially, especially a lot of younger people who, uh, really showed up, um, and helped Democrats in this election. It looked like from, from exit polls. Um, but a big factor probably was a lot of 
Republicans dying of the fucking uh, COVID <laughs> uh, virus that so like wasn't really factored into the polls. Um, and, you know, you're talking about a lot of older voters who go out and vote. And there was a partisan that, skew. There was a partisan skew in COVID deaths. And that's, you know, obviously there was like a lot of working class people who've died of COVID uh, who vote for Democrats. Um, but there's also a ton of old people who just like so, had their brain uh, poisoned, unfortunately. Yeah, and um, and also, I think if you spend two years talking about how rigged the election is and how right. there's all these games being played, it depresses your own turnout. So those factors came into play. And it's a midterm. It's hard to get people motivated. I think that when Trump is on the ballot and when he announces his candidacy, it's going to be back to back to electoral troubles for for the Democrats, I'd say. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I guess to kind of jump off now, sort of just the just the candidates themselves. Um, I just had one more question before I hand it off to Jamie and Jorge. Um, so there were several progressive initiatives that passed, such as protecting abortion rights, weed legalization. Uh, minimum wage increases and Medicare expansion, just to name a few. Uh, what do you think this says about the electorate versus the political class? And um, I guess this assumption that Americans are not ready for, and I'm just putting socialism in like air quotes right now, because it's not actually socialism, I think, as right. we envision it here, but at least some form of redistributive policies. Uh, we're told by both Democrats and especially Republicans that, um, you know, people don't want Medicare for all, you know, uh, people don't want to uh, uh, um, want these other measures that would actually like, you know, like secure themselves and their families and their livelihoods. Right. So w what do you think that says that progressive initiatives passed, um, which was if would you be to the contrary if you were listening to pundits? Well, I think progressive policies are, are politically popular and obviously <laughs> the reason why Democrats don't embrace them, even though it would seem to they would seem to comport with their brand is because they don't want to upset their donors and they don't have any penalty for losing elections because it's just uh, you can just jump from one campaign to the next to the next. You get paid either way, win or lose the consulting class there. So um, but you're right. There were, um, you know, these elections like we're not we're not moving any closer toward a worker state with these elections, obviously. <laughs> That work's being done every other day, whether it's through mm -hmm. some of the labor organizing we're seeing happening, pr primarily through that. Now, that's kind of the only major game I see in town happening that is Same. building toward anything. I mean, you do have these, you know, more disparate groups working in like tenant organizing and migrant justice. A lot of local DSA chapters engaged in that work. And, mm -hmm. but, I guess when it comes to actual the midterm elections and the general elections, it's just sort of harm reduction. You're trying to like uh, not give the reactionary Republican Party even more power at a mm -hmm. at the state levels with these ballot initiatives. You can really uh, uh, materially impact people's lives mm -hmm. in a in a positive way, and you saw a lot of that pass. And if Democrats ran on these things, you could see that they would have more electoral success but voters have to get these things on ballots despite democrats opposition to them like in massachusetts where voters approved of a millionaire tax right uh, democrats are so afraid at the state level on running anything that running on any sort of campaign that raises taxes and on the federal level um you've had biden in office two years and he hasn't really raised 
taxes considerably on the wealthy. so the only way you can get taxes raised at the state level is through these ballot initiatives now, and it mm-hmm. passed in Massachusetts. Uh, the Illinois, Illinois passed a, yep. a right to collectively bargain in their constitution. Uh, yeah. y- you saw minimum wage increases in uh, Nebraska, Nevada. Uh, free uh, school lunch program created in Colorado for everybody uh, in public school. Um so, yeah, I mean, I guess it, it just shows that people like these things, which is pretty obvious. People like when the government does good stuff for them and improves exactly. their lives. Uh, also, I think it's important to note, like, there were the ballot initiatives to uh, ban abortion in many states, and all of them were rejected, like, including, like, red states like Kentucky. Kentucky, yeah, I was just yeah. thinking, yep. Like, all right, of them right. were rejected. Yeah, but the Dakotas did reject marijuana legalization. I don't know what's going up. Which up is there in yeah, the what's going on? What's going on? What else are you doing weed, up there? <laughs> exactly. You need they need better weed, man. They're but they also have right a sovereign. Now. But they also have a sovereign wealth fund. It's really, you know, politics is complicated, right? <laughs> it's almost like the average person's political views is a real mixed basket of random shit that doesn't necessarily make sense together. Yep. This yeah. is why political education is the most important, but also the longest thing you could get rewards from in terms of it takes a long time, but you need to keep adding to it. Mm-hmm. People need to be think through their beliefs. I'm not going to jump to anything that's in our in our outline, but um, yeah, man, I guess I guess this election, I'm, I'm going to say something right now, which sounds petty, right? But man, I fucking hate the Democrats. Like I really fucking do. And sometimes like I want them to lose Right. But I realize it shouldn't be at the expense of people that I care about and millions of people. Yeah. And I was a little bit stubborn in my response to be like, OK, like, but Jorge and I were talking about it. And it seems more like the Republicans lost than the Democrats won. You know, I mean, it depends on where it is. Right. Like mm. if you look at like Illinois, Illinois is, I feel like, going to be a canary in the coal mine over the next few years in the mm. sense of like, I don't know, like. Pritzker is really complicated. I mean, he's a bi- he's a billionaire heir, but yet he like does these things that like, what what, what you doing there, big fella? Like what 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 you, what what, are you, what what's going on in your head? Like why are you why are you so strongly pushing for a constitutional amendment for collective bar- bargaining? You know, it's like or or like he was the one that removed the flat tax in Illinois. It's like what's going on in your head? Like what's going what's going on? Right? Maybe we need it's a like, big boy coalition, man. Well, FTR was really rich too. You know, and, right? Uh, That's true. He went on to save uh, capitalism for other rich people. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah so, we can so never get I, a true I, class trade a bit. I, but I mean, like, if, if, if you add like a economic bill of rights where it's like constitutionally bargaining, it's like, listen, that's farther down the ball in terms of socialism than where we are right now. Yeah. 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 I think yeah. my my district sentinel co-host, Sam Knight, used the analogy uh, for if anyone watches football, European football or soccer, as mm-hmm. we call it here, like yeah, yeah. the house and Senate races, the two parties, it, it was, it was a relegation battle and, uh, <laughs> both teams needed three points, you know, to escape relegation and they ended up tying and they're both getting relegated because if Democrats lose the house, <laughs> well, you, know, that's the end now. Of, you know, whatever Biden's agenda was. And yet here Republicans are suffering a defeat themselves and yeah. going to try and take out their leadership as a result. I, I mean, I it, if if Republicans have like a two-seat majority in the House, it's going to get real nasty with what McCarthy, what sort of deals he's going to have to make with like Marjorie Taylor Greene to yeah. get support for his leadership. 
she'll get whatever committee she wants, you know? So, uh, our, our, our future Fuhrer. And and there is like an errand to, you know, you know, you want to see Democrats lose. Well, they lost a lot in New York and it looks like they're going to lose the house. If it ends up real close and Republicans do take like a two seat majority in the house, then it's New York Democrats that are going to blame for that. They lost four seats. They had four seats flip in New York to Republicans. One of them was Sean Patrick Maloney's seat, who's in charge of yep. the House Democrat campaign uh, fundraising arm. Uh, Dem- nationally, right? Yeah, nationally. New York Democrats screwed up their redistricting process uh, and well, gave Republicans uh, a chance to win in a lot of these seats when they totally didn't need to. And uh, sh- yeah, Sean Patrick Maloney decided to run in Mondaire Jones's seat and so got rid of him and then he goes on and loses his seat. So, uh, <laughs> fucking losers. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then Mondaire Jones had a run in the, in what was it? Congressional yeah. district 12. Was, was it like the one that was in Manhattan and, and Brooklyn? What is, yeah. You, and then he, no, yeah. I don't know which number number it was, but he ended up losing the primary. Like he couldn't, right. couldn't even advance because the all primary. the progressives ran, all the progressive ran, like all, because there were like all these, like, you know, you can, vary in terms of how progressive they really are but like a bunch of them that named themselves progressive like four of them ran and it was like a clown a clown car primary and no one dropped out but then the lay moderate won by like a like 30 percent of the vote and it's like okay well it's very clear what happened here of like what needed to happen but no one did it because guess what no one's in an organization makes you yeah. think makes you think <laughs> all right all right jamie did you uh, want to ask a question uh, yeah, I had a question on, like, what the fuck happened in New York. Uh, I guess uh, Cuomo had something to do with uh, letting too many of the Republicans in on this redistricting process, uh, thereby weakening the power of his own party. Uh, why would he do that? Like, I know that he's not, like, a good guy or anything, but, mm. you know, if only because he's a Democrat who wants to hold on to his own power... Like, why would Cuomo do something so stupid? Well, I think like any most centrist Democrats, their main motivation isn't to defeat Republicans. It's to defeat the left. So if you can take a bunch of like solidly left-leaning districts and turn them a little more purple and force centrists, more centrist Democrats to run in these races or get more centrist Democrats in power. You can do that. I honestly am not too keen on, on the sort of New York machine politics. Uh, I know that like their original map got struck down by a court and then they Mm -hmm. went to drawing a new map, which was, I guess, hailed as like the most balanced map in the country as far as, uh, each race was like 50-50 on who who might win the race between Republicans and Democrats, which is just like not what you do if you're in power and you're drawing districts. Yeah, you like you, all these you other states. Voter turnout. Well, yes, well, all these fair, uh, and all these other Republican states are drawing districts to benefit their party, and here's New York Democrats who are drawing districts to harm the left within their party, <laughs> even at the expense of benefiting the right, and it's going to probably end up costing Democrats the House. So from my understanding, well, there's there's your explanation, though, right? Like, why would they do something seemingly so irrational? Because they're more concerned with fighting the left than the right. The graveyard of social movements, dog. That's what they are. 
Yeah, from my understanding, the reason that the map was drawn, this is very like inside baseball, New York politics, but basically it's because they had they were forced to get like a special like prosecutor or like someone to draw the map, and then this person was the reason why this was drawn, and then they were mandated by the court to accept it. Hmm. So it's like totally undemocratic process. Yeah, and Cuomo also uh, responsible for appointing a bunch of right-leaning yep. judges uh, in New York, too, that I believe one of them was the one who was responsible for, for striking down the original maps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. He, his gifts to us really just keep on coming. For decades. The They'll continue for decades. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that I, fucking I w- guy. I will say I'm glad Hoko won only for one fact. It's be- well, more than also the fact that, you know, Zeldin is insane right-winger didn't win, but also if Zeldin won... Then, unfortunately, I'd have to say that be that would be the moment that Cuomo could come back. Be like, see, no one can win except me. Yeah, yeah, Ooh. the comeback kid. Oh God, man. Um, but, but I'm not- so annoyed that I had to fucking vote for her ass. <laughs> So annoyed. I mean, like, like, and that's what it is about these elections, right? Is like kind of begrudgingly, especially like living in the South. Which actually, Sam, I want to move down, move up, move down from New York and uh, to Georgia. Um, because, like, yeah, man, I didn't want to fucking vote, but you had, like, this Herschel Walker versus Raphael Warnock, and I was about to mix their names oh, up. Man. I always do that. I always put them together, <laughs> Herschel Warnock. But anyway, uh, we saw that there's there's a runoff. There's a, It's leading to a runoff. I think when I spoke to you guys on Means TV, um, I was pretty confident that uh, Raphael Warnock was going to win, you know, I thought at least by a couple percentage points. Um, but... I guess what do you what are your thoughts on the Georgia Senate race and um and this question too because this has been bouncing around in my mind um, since uh, the the election in 2020 right um, and the runoff um, that time what do you what do you think it is about Georgia specifically but maybe more so national politics now generally that the control of the Senate once again rests on this southern state which like I don't know if people know but the city of Atlanta at least the city of Atlanta is known as a city too busy to hate. And I think you could, that like kind of like slogan, the fake slogan, you can apply to the state like writ large. I'm not saying that Georgia is not like a southern state in terms of um, a racist slaveocracy in terms of its history, right? And also it's strict racial stratification even to this day. But Georgia's always seemed to me like one of those, quote, more liberal southern states, right? Like, like this idea that you had the uh, black misleadership class, as Cornel West would call them, and white leadership that in order to make sure that business continued as usual, they would form a pact, right? Um, what do you think it is, I guess, generally about Georgia specifically, um, but national politics? And again, what are your thoughts on the race? Because my head is still spinning about this, man. It's unfortunate it's so close, I guess, given what a what a train wreck of a candidacy Herschel Walker was. Like, Holy shit. Um, <laughs> but... I guess we can't really be surprised about what candidates are, are popular anymore. I mean, honestly, Aaron, you probably know more than I do about about how George being from there and, and working working in, in the machine back in the day. Uh, you know, a lot of this has to do with the fact that, like, Georgia has this dumb law where you have to get 50 percent, which was created out of racism. Right. Wasn't it that they yep. wanted that? you know, black voters were consolidating behind yep. uh, one candidate. Yeah. So they were like, oh, yep. well, you know, now you have to get 50 plus one. So the last two years, it's become this like main event election. 
after the election. I do wonder how much, as I mentioned, this like triumphalist attitude on the part of Democrats now that uh, Nevada has been called for Catherine Cortez Masto that guarantees that Democrats will at least have their 50 votes, mm-hmm. how much that'll suck out some of the enthusiasm in the in the runoff election and, and down in Georgia. And Democrats do need to win that election just because you can't trust someone like Manchin or Cinema from not switching parties if given the right deal. Or it at least makes it harder for the party to employ its rotating villain strategy when they need to have two rotating mm-hmm. villains yeah. now to defeat things like minimum wage increases. Um, I saw somebody say that we don't need Georgia anymore. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? I want to I want to add in two really quick too that I saw this today when I was uh, right before we hopped on that um, they were expecting two million uh, two million people to turn out and vote um, the dem- for the Democrats, um, but actually uh, the turnout was pretty much unchanged from like two years ago. You know, um, which like to me says that. I mean, people, it's not that people were demotivated, I guess. I mean, some people were, but like clearly, like, and this is the thing, man, is that in the South, like, you have the, the Democrats either, well, they always run these candidates that are uh, lukewarm and milk toast. I'm thinking of somebody like Amy McGrath, right, in oh, Kentucky, God. right? I'm thinking of uh, uh, the guy who, for some fucking reason, is running the DNC now. Like, they just love rewarding losers. Like, I don't fucking get it, right? Um, I guess what this, we ran against Mitch McConnell in South Carolina, right? I'm not Mitch McConnell, sorry. Um, Gr- uh, Lindsey Graham. I'm just apologize. Um, and yeah. this is, yeah. And this is what, like, they do. And, I mean, Raphael Warnock, I guess, has the benefit of that, like, Herschel Walker is just, like, so like visibly and uniquely just dumb as fuck and just grotesque and just like a bad person. You know what I mean? But I don't know. Well, the race would probably look a lot more like Stacey Abrams race if there was some more competent Republican running, right? That sort of the idea that George is turning blue and it might be, but you've got to put a lot more work into it, like a lot more work. It's not quite there. And when you have a sort of freak election like 2020 was where, uh, you know, you had a lot of people turning out to vote against Trump and to participate in the process against Trump in that election that put Georgia into play. That dynamic isn't as strong during uh, a midterm. Mm-hmm. It just helps that you had uh, the first, like, CTE <laughs> Senate candidate on the ticket. <laughs> like, yeah. Or else they probably would have lost. Like, he, I mean, Democrats would have probably lost that seat. I don't know. And they still defend. might. They still might lose it. You know, he still might win. Like, there's still a whole other election, yeah. right? Yes. And you're going to have a, a, a party that is not, in the Senate is not, quote unquote, hanging in the balance like it was in 2020, which drove out a lot of people to vote. Um, it's going to be tougher. It'll be a lot tougher to win. I'm going to defend Comrade Warnock, you know. I'm I thought defend you were going to him. say you were going to defend CTE for a bit. I don't know no, why, but no, you were going to say no, that. No, no, like, no, no, You'd be no. my Critical guest, brother. Support for CTE. <laughs> no, I'm going to defend Warnock in a sense of, like, I don't know. There are some positive redeeming qualities about him as like a candidate. What? I mean, like what? Well, I mean, well, one, he was, he's the minister of MLK's church, first okay. and foremost. So, uh, like, that is a really important thing in terms of... 
okay, but most voters that would vote for him <laughs> are not, right? And I, and also in terms of like, uh, in terms of like, he he is like a moral character that people responded well to. And no, I mean, like, if you looked this at if you if you looked at the exit polling, like, and there was like a pretty decent proportion, I think like one or two percent of people, which is remarkable, that voted both for Kemp and Warnock. In the sense that, and you and had to do something with like, oh, I'm looking for the integrity of somebody. And if you think about it, the logic actually kind of makes sense in a sense that like, well, Warnock, I mean, sure, moral character, reverend, you know, upstanding person, sure. But then with like Kemp, it, it kind of plays out in the sense of like, well, yes, Kemp is a, uh, go- a, rep- a Republican governor, but he stood up to Trump in terms of like not, con- not, uh, con- not uh, how do I say it? Not, not going along with the big lie that the election was stolen, right? Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so I think like you have you have to consider like some people's logics and the way they vote too. It's like so, so that's why it's like I I don't think there's because there's a reason why like Warnock I think just overperformed. I mean, in some counties, Warnock over overperformed Biden in those in in, the, in a lot of the Democrat counties that he won. So yeah. I think it's yeah. like and it's he's more not, than just like I thought. I thought you were going to say, Jorge, that he's cool because he once said something nice about Fidel Castro. Oh, he invited he Fidel had, Castro to his church he, in, in Right, right. Although he since, like, had to apologize <laughs> for it well, and take it back. To be fair to his credit, he didn't actually apologize, really. Jake Tapper was trying to make him apologize, and he kept trying to, like, kind of, like, mm. wave it off. But he did not endorse Castro in that moment. You're right. He didn't. So. Well, yeah, he also tweeted in support of the recent protesters in Cuba— Oh, All that bullshit. Oh, so, yeah. okay, yeah. Like, like the you know whatever attempt they were having at a color revolution. Yeah, so yeah. you know, not as cool as he could have been. <laughs> but you know, still, there's not a lot of cool things that any of these people have done. So True. you know, we have to take De- it where we. Democrats can find are it. very good at like diversifying their their portfolio of good <laughs> and bad to where there's not like anybody who's really has all good. You'll find someone who's like good on economic issues, and then like they'll be praising the. The, the Cuban protests or something like that, or, or, or calling yeah, for, or, like, us to nuke wait Russia. Wait a second. <laughs> yeah. Can you guys hear that? My iTunes just went on for some mysterious no. reason. No, we didn't hear okay, that. never um, mind. Never can, mind. I just, I just but, wanted to say... To, go ahead, Sam. Go ahead, Sam. I was just, just going to add that, yeah, Warnock is obviously a, a relative to the other Democratic candidates, especially some we've talked about, like Tim Ryan, um... Also, like Val Demings down in Florida, who is a former cop, uh, right. the candidate in uh, <laughs> North Carolina. I forgot uh, her name, but you know he's a much, he was a much better candidate than all of them. He didn't run to the right of of Joe he Biden. He didn't pander to the right. Yes, he yeah. like you know when Biden did the very few somewhat populist like pro worker things, like he didn't run from those things, and he campaigned on helping people helping working class people now a lot of it is you know bullshit and a lot of it's pandering and will you know it counts where he votes but uh that's that explains it. it's not just that herschel walker was you know you're right it's not just that herschel walker was such a bad candidate warnock is uh compared to others in, in the democratic party a or compared to candidate. just abrams yeah a- and abrams gonna... was like a centrist like democrat yeah. and you know she just did much worse than than warnock yeah. yeah. And Jorge, How I dare actually, you? How dare you impugn the good name of our queen, Stacey Abrams? Of, our, of, of president of United Earth in the 32nd oh century, according God. to Star Trek oh Discovery, God. that fucking trash show. Anyway, um, oh, Jorge, wow. I actually, I forgot about that. Jorge, I want to touch on something that you said because um, you noted on the uh, the uh, seeming contradiction of the Kemp and Warnock voter. And yeah, yeah. I like 
I've been thinking about this, and I guess this is sort of what people have been talking about um, with uh, 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 voters rejecting these far right candidates because, like, these are more like normal, quote, normal people. I think it's like respectability versus reaction. And I think the reconciliation of that was like Kemp and Warnock. And what I mean by that is like, you know, somebody like Brian Kemp is like not as viscerally, like, re- visibly reactionary as someone like, you know, Donald Trump. But he still is, though. But he's also able to wrap it up in a nice package, you know. Right. Warnock, even more so, right? I mean, you had voters that, even Republicans that overwhelmingly said that they thought that Warnock was a better, char- better, um, like, had better character or more trustworthy than they did Herschel Walker. And these are Republicans we're talking about. So it seems yeah, yeah. like that whole contradiction of respectability versus reaction is playing out in Georgia even though these are the same people that would vote and support heinous candidates who support heinous policies, right? But it just has to be wrapped up nicely with the bow on top. And it's, uh, it's troubling, man. It is troubling. It's spectacle. You have to, you have to play the game that it is. Yeah. And I guess that's yeah. the story heading into the, the, the GOP primary in 2024 where uh, DeSantis will yeah. play that role that Kemp is sort of playing, I guess, that in your, in your comparison oh, there where he's, yeah. oh, well, I, I, can, I can do the same sort of fascist stick as trump but in this more respectable tone and fashion where i'm not clearly suffering from like uh 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 delusions of grandeur yeah name whatever personality (laughs) disorder you want to diagnose with trump like it's so transparent when he talks that like there's something (laughs) something deeply yeah there's something deep motivating whatever he's saying that like you would really need to spend a lot of time teasing out um, yeah. but like he doesn't well, just, and DeSantis does have it a little bit. I will say that. Like he yeah. does have it a little bit. All politicians where, do. All yeah. politicians do. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but like a deep insecurity somewhere gonna... that they try yeah. to compensate for. Yeah. yeah. I mean, did yeah, you like, hear that okay. Trump wanted to drop the uh, Sorry, Jamie, but like, did you hear that Trump wanted to like release something? If DeSantis wanted to run, this came out of the New York times. That he was going to leak something that happened to DeSantis that he did with a sex worker. Oh, I didn't. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. I, I forgot about the sex worker part, but you just reminded me. I do know that he's been threatening to leak like all sorts of shit on him, right. which I am personally very excited about. <laughs> uh, and like on, on a wider angle, I think Trump's just going to tear him a new asshole. Oh, big time. You know, like that's the only thing we like about Trump. He's so funny when he's owning these other Republicans. And what enables him to do it is that he's a crazy mother. He's a crazier motherfucker than the rest of them. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's like when you're yeah. in, a, in a in a street fight with someone, it's not like the best fighter is going to win. It's like the yeah, person yeah. who's like willing to kill you. <laughs> that is going to win. He's willing to lose it all to win this fight. And Trump is so much that style when he's campaigning of this sort of scorched earth, burn it, the party down if I can't win. Whereas Ron DeSantis is very much of a party guy and, and will play nice. And But he's DeSantis is so dull and has lacks all of the charisma that makes Trump so popular within the Republican Party that a lot of this is just hype around DeSantis and a lot of the never Trumpers are just hoping that like this will be their guy. And then the first time they meet on a debate stage and Trump talks about how like frumpy DeSantis is or something like that. Or how his suits don't fit. Yeah, some shit like, like some shit like that. It's going to be over. Gonna, It'll be over. He's going to find like the his three favorite hookers and invite them all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, have him sit in the front row and shit. But actually, no. I wouldn't be surprised if DeSantis is up to some nasty ass shit, though. Like, I mean, not, you know, not that like 
seeing they, sex workers is nasty, point. but like yeah, yeah, yeah. I could yeah. also see him, you know, having a lot of skeletons in his closet as like a former uh military dude who was doing some dark shit in the military i think he was like in charge yes. of clearing fallujah and stuff um, yes dude Ooh. when i found that out i was like <laughs> what the fuck yeah low-key war crimes like just like got, managed to get become a war criminal before into before like, yeah. before actually becoming an official war criminal like as president <laughs> word, word. but you can uh, see that sort of motivation in how he governs too the way he went out and decided i'm gonna ruin 20 something people's lives by accusing them right. of voter fraud uh Mm. just just to just to make up right. this uh this panic about uh our elections being fixed i'm just gonna go ruin 20 people's lives and parade them on camera and say that my election police are uh hot shit uh like he's he's yeah election he's worse police. than trump dark yeah yeah right. well let me let me ask a question i guess to follow up on that then um sam because taking it out of just like the presidential like primary the uh, republicans in 2024 you you were just talking about that stunt that DeSantis pulled right um just to kind of add on to the fire of this panic what do you think that means for like i guess down ballot like right far right wing candidates overall because like we were talking about earlier it seems like you know mostly not completely because of course there were school boards that um um, elected some of these candidates but it seems like they were rejected it seems like you would think the right would learn their lesson right um a lot of it of course was out of the official control of of republican party um fundraising organizations a lot of it like we're talking about peter Thiel money but like the right is kind of characterized by it's like uh it's adaptability um, in the face of any social progress, right? They always find a way to repackage these ideas. Can you see them doing that in 2024, um, continue to hinging on this trans panic, this CRT stuff, even though it seems like voters care more about, you know, I hate to use this word, but kitchen table economic issues, you know? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, I, I wouldn't, They've gotten way too online, like Republicans. They've gotten, <laughs> you know, they're not that's like that's the amazing. sort of the sort of like yeah, Koch brothers style ruthlessness of you know we're advancing the interests of capital no matter what. That's our focus. Uh, and sometimes you'll use things like abortion as wedge issues, but ultimately the goal is to uh, advance the interests of capital. Whereas a lot of this transphobic stuff. Mm-hmm goes beyond just motivating voters and it is like designed to whip up violence against trans. Like a lot of it has these yeah. very fascist, Genocidal. Uh, extra political motivations that yeah. an election is not going to stop those people. Those people have a mission, like people like Matt Walsh and Tucker Carlson. Christopher fucking Rufo. Fucking- yeah. Like these guys are Nazis and mm-hmm. they're not yeah. the, the, like Republicans winning elections is second to, or, you know, ensuring that, uh, capitalists are earning record high profits is second to them wanting to eliminate LGBTQ people. Uh, mm-hmm. and I think that I don't know how, if the Republican Party decides, well, you know, we got kind of shellacked in this election by flirting with these forces a little too much or like, you know, maybe not flirting. They've always been a part of these. They've always been friends, but I guess centering these forces more in their uh, pitch to voters uh, that maybe they'll 
take it down a few notches. But if Repu- mm. if Republicans have the House, I wouldn't be surprised to see a ton of messaging bills that you see at the state level aimed at uh, performing genital inspections on student athletes, uh, just outlawing any sort of gender affirming health care, threatening to lock up uh, doctors who perform it. Uh, because a lot of, a lot of people in the Republican caucus are like Marjorie Taylor Greene too. Like she, you know, right. she one handily, by the way, one yes. handily, I want to admit. It was the most expensive house race too. It was her race. And she, <laughs> yes. Democrats spent like $13 million trying to beat her. Uh, 13 and, million. Yeah. An insane yeah, amount of, uh, trying to beat her and just couldn't do it. Uh, I'm sorry, but like that money could like, I all of, all of us could have told you that there was no way she was going to lose. Like, you could have spent that money anywhere else, and they could have actually made more gains. Listen, yeah. that whole that whole district is really weird. There's apparently a statue in that district in the city of Rome, Georgia, of the brothers Romulus and Remus. Um, and apparently the myth goes that it was gifted to the town by Mussolini himself. That whole no. district is fucking wow. insane, dog. Yeah, it's insane. Wow, that's some real uh, Rowan bust emoji vibes <laughs> coming from over there. Uh, but yeah, I think it's important to remember that this alliance between the religious right and the more sort of traditionally uh, economically conservative right has not always existed and is contingent on many historical factors and you know, could always go away again if it ceases to benefit uh, both parties equally or if one side sees that it's not benefiting them the way that it used to or the way that it, that they want it to. Um, but I, on the topic of messaging, I wanted to swing back over to the Democratic side of things and talk about one of my bailiwicks, which is, of course, the movement to defund and ultimately abolish the police, which, of course, is tied into the movement for communism, because if you abolish the police, you basically abolish the state. And then, you know, hopefully we have something better on the other side. But we'll figure out what uh, happens after that. <laughs> exactly. Yes, yeah, cer- certainly. Certainly uh, we will. That'll be a cool problem to have. But um yeah, I don't think most people understand it on this level. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I do understand that defund the police was not the death knell for Democrats that conservative Democrats like to claim it is in this election. Um, not that very many Democrats even believe in that or ran on it in any way. But, um, yeah, what went on there, do you think? Well, I mean... There, yeah, as you said, not there aren't Democrats that actually believe in any of this, but those that are willing to entertain the idea the most, people like <laughs> Cory Bush, Rashida Tlaib, they all won easy, right? They all won their races, you know, pretty yeah. easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, candidates that uh, constantly whined about the messaging around it all tended to struggle. Abigail Spanberger, the former CIA agent, you know, she won, but not handily. There was uh, another uh, Luria, I think it was the last name of the Democrat who lost in Virginia. Uh, so, and and you know, you could say, oh well, the, you know, well they're conservative districts there. You know, it's you can't. But 
they also ran on a completely different message. Like, so we can't tell. Like, if Abigail Spanberger ran on defunding the police and got wiped out, then maybe they'd have an argument. But she ran explicitly against that and didn't perform nearly as well uh, in a race. I mean, Democrats have spent the last two years funding the police, like increasing funding for the police, uh, passing legislation to increase funding for the police at a local level, uh, passing budgets that keep uh, funding for the police. And yet Republicans still accuse them of defunding the police. So they're doesn't seem to really be any political backlash to defunding the police if you're going to be accused of it no matter what. You might as uh, well do it anyway. Yeah, might as well do it anyway. And uh, th- you, know, you did also have Val Demings uh, in what was, I think, the third most expensive Senate race. Democrats poured money to beat Marco Rubio. And they're like, let's get this former cop uh, to, to be our main candidate. And spend a ton of money there, show how much we love cops, and then she gets trounced. Like, it's as soon as the polls close, we have an announcement. Marco Rubio wins the race. Um, I Like, it's, it's, it's bizarre a world how the movement, which brought so many people into the streets in 2020, and, you know, kind of expanded our political imaginations of what might be possible when it comes to... Uh, breaking the power of police, how it now plays out in our, in our electoral politics, where you have both parties wanting to increase funding for the police, but one is being smeared as defunding it the whole time. And yet people who actually do entertain it do still fare well in their political races. Like there hasn't been any evidence of a political backlash to calls to defund the police. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like, I guess, a bright spot if we can have any in this uh, <laughs> dreary discussion of bourgeois electoralism. I don't know. It's just when you were talking just now about how, you know, uh, Democrats and Republicans are both running on funding the police and they're both doing it. Uh, but, you know, one side is accusing the other of not. And actually, both sides are accusing yeah, the other. They are. Of, uh, <laughs> Biden, is, of being Biden is often accused the Republican Party of not funding because they pass these stimulus bills that include money that will go to states to like, you know, we're just supposed to, hey, help your infrastructure and build schools and stuff or spend it a lot on cops, which Biden's like, you should spend it all on cops. Uh, and Republicans Honestly, vote against it. So they're like, oh, now who's defunding the police? Yeah. Also, it just just reminds me. Go ahead, Jamie. It just it just reminds me how many layers removed all of this stuff is Mm -hmm. from you know the actual material basis of politics and you know social movements on the ground of the kind that you or I would participate in and find hope in. You know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, not just you and me, but like a fuck ton of regular people as well. I just wanted to say really quick too. I um, kept trying to jump in. Sorry, but I was trying to say that um, in January in January six too, we saw that because you know we had all these like right wingers like tr- storming the Capitol and police officers were hurt or died. You had like Biden and other Democrats saying that you see like the right doesn't actually care about law and order, you know, and like also funding the police right after that. So I mean, yeah, it's this weird reversal, right? It's very, it's it's. I mean, it's like you were saying, Jamie. It's it's dreary, you know. It's pretty depressing. <laughs> I mean, I, I would say, like, the fact that, uh, to what Sam brought up, mm. I do think it is kind of interesting that Biden say that. Because on, on the one hand, like, yes, it's, like, claiming, like, the law and order thing on, on itself and then mm. attacking the Republicans for not funding the police. But on the other hand, I feel like there's also another layer of, like, 
oh, what if we just like took away these concerns of other that other Democrats are for defunding the police and then just throw them onto the Republicans that that is not on us anymore, even though people in our party are for, for it. I'm like, maybe there's some like, what's he cooking? You know, like <laughs> there, there, there's, some, there's something, I mean, like, which kind of goes to, 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 my, to my question. Uh, I have two questions, but one is like, you know, given the fact that Democrats will hold the Senate and are poised to if, if either hold the House or barely lose a minority, like, you know, I, I'm, I've been reading about this, and apparently, like, since 1922, there have only been three instances of the pre- like of the president's party either gaining or not losing any Senate seats and losing less than 10 House seats in the president's first midterms. And it's like, the first one was 1934, which was uh, the FDR's first midterm, 1962, JFK's midterm, and 2002, the uh, rally around the around the po- uh, pol- president uh, of uh, George W. Bush, his first term. And now you have this one. But th- this one's kind of interesting because, like, all the other ones, like, had, like, the president with high approval rating. But, and then, but here, like, you have the economy, like, has, you know, once in a generation inflation, like, just through the roof. The economy is like meh or at the precipice of like either we're in it or on the precipice of a recession. Um, the president is not popular. It's like proving not high at all. So, but like, so why why was this different? Like, you now th- this like it it is true that this is a a buck the historic trend that the first the first midterm of a pre- of a president almost always swings to the other party, and yet this did not happen. This is the first time a Democrat had done that since JFK. Like, 50, like, like over 50 years. So like wh- why, like I just, it's, it's like for me, it's like, well, something something happened that was different. And of course, like, oh, the Republican Party. But on the other side, it's like, well, some, like that's still, I feel like something is like, there's still, I, I, I don't find that sufficient because I feel like, you know, in some places it did really well. Yeah. That's just more than just like, I mean, oh, it, like met performance. Yeah, and there were a lot of the same headwinds that you mentioned. And it, it, whether it be from the economy or, uh, tr- I mean, Biden hasn't suffered any political damage for how he's handled COVID either. <laughs> like, yeah. think of how many people are still dying. Uh, and that's not a criticism that Republicans would dare launch against him at all, uh, at all mm-hmm. during, yeah. during this in, uh, entire campaign. Uh, why did this break historical precedent? I don't, think it had anything to do with like Democrats. I don't think that it was like anything that they've accomplished over the last two years or anything particularly effective about their messaging. Um, But there were other factors that probably did it. We mentioned, you know, that a lot of people might've GOP voters might've died over the last two years. (laughs) That Uh, still blows my mind actually that you made me think, okay, it really is literally a numbers game. So all we have to do is no, I'm kidding y'all. Like it's not like (laughs) it's obviously not, you know, enough to really swing elections, but in a lot of races that are very close as we're seeing, it could have been also just Republicans running a bad campaign of constantly talking about election fraud that depressed the vote. Republicans running bad candidates like Dr. Oz, uh, Herschel oh, Walker. Yeah, we didn't even talk about Fetterman, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Um, even heading into the election, it didn't seem to have the same vibes as like 2010 had. I don't know if, right. you know, how much everyone was paying attention. And as Obama was heading into his first term, it was just all doom like this is going to be really 
bad and it did turn out really bad here it was more up in the air it was just like the math is really bad for democrats so it's going to be extremely hard for them to keep both chambers but it doesn't seem like there's a massive wave coming because of how not so the candidates were it seemed hard to imagine a scenario where all these guys would win um so so i think that you know maybe those those factors had to do with it also you had abortion as an issue yeah um uh, maybe not as dominant as an issue as democrats were banking on uh as it would just be the number one thing that drives out everybody it it wasn't but it still was a a big motivator for young voters this election so mm-hmm. i think a combination of all those helped buck the historical trend of presidents losing their 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 majorities in the in their first midterm elections so i i i think i agree with you but i'm gonna say something a little bit controversial uh in the sense of like where i think the source like i don't think it's something that the democratic party like establishment like the, the the people who are running the party or the president necessarily did but i do think it came unironically i do think there's there's some, some evidence to suggest it came organically from the bottom up in terms of the rank and file of the Democratic Party, meaning like, not, I mean, elements of the prog- of progressive wing, you know, people who are like, you know, in it either because like they're Bernie aligned or, you know, DSA or whatever you want to say, like, sure. But the core, I would say, I mean, I hate to say it, but I think, it, you know, this like resistance liberal phenomenon, I think really is like, as like shown to be like something's happened because, uh, you know, I've, I've seen some people have made the, the claim and I, Honestly, I, I think I somewhat agree with it. Not entirely, but I think it does explain a lot that th- these people who are like this grouping of like informal grouping of Democrats that was formed under Trump, after Trump running the presidency of just being like against the, Demo- the, the against the Republican Party at all costs. The kind of, I think, have started showing like a change of the past few years. I mean, like ever since they kind of be- became like a force, they're kind of. Democrats have been 3-0 in terms of, like, trying to stop GOP making gains. I mean, like, the, you know, that blue wave in 2018, then it was, like, the trifecta in 2020, and then they kind of just held where we're where, where, where right now with this midterms. Yeah. And, I mean, I think in some ways I think that, you know, they deserve credit for it in the sense of, like, I think they correctly coalesced around the real historical, you know, moment that we're in of, like, yes, there is, like, the chance of a fascism in the United States, there is a chance of like, of a right-wing authoritarianism that, yes, should be totally combated. And I mean, I, so I, I guess like, what do you make of this phenomenon in terms of this? Like, and you know, I think like, well, I th- from what I think about it as an organizer, should we try to organize these people? Because like, you know, you know, don't pay attention to some of the people online. I think some, some people will like point to like the people like K-Hive or these like always Hillary people. I, I, from my experience, this is not the majority of these people who believe these things. A lot of suburban women, <laughs> yeah. a lot of a lot of wine moms. Are you saying we need to ask the moms, Jorge? <laughs> Jorge, the mom whisperer. <laughs> the mom whisperer. Nice. I, 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 um, so I think that Trump did, one of the effects of Trump is you had a lot, did have a lot of Republicans going to the Democratic Party. Uh, traditional mm-hmm. Republicans, which has resulted in right. the Democratic Party becoming more conservative, largely, which mm-hmm. really played out in the 2020 Democratic primary. Uh, I think a lot of, you know, including myself in this, thought that Bernie would do better in 2020. 
because of how he performed in 2016, but the Democratic electorate got a lot more conservative in response to Trump in between 2016 and I know my mom did. Yeah. yeah, and she did, I, she wouldn't vote. She wasn't going to vote for Bernie because she was scared that she'd be throwing away her primary vote because now we had to defeat Trump at all costs. Just yeah. as an anecdote, exactly. And well, plus, you also well, just had people who were like, "Bernie's crazy. Like that's not at all my <laughs> politics. I'm more of like a <laughs> yeah. you know I would normally vote for a Republican. You know I want lower yeah. taxes, and uh, Democrats aren't really raising my taxes, so I can deal with it now. But I would I imagine that a lot of those people that have helped. That you mentioned, Jorge, Democrats build winning coalitions in the last few elections are going to jump ship as soon as Trump is not the party leader, the Republican Party leader. Like they'll go back if Ron DeSantis is the nominee uh, in in a second. Um, But it is true that some of the big the biggest losers of the election last week were the election deniers from 2020. A lot of the Mm -hmm. people who. played around with a lot of this conspiracist thinking around the election, whether it be uh, various secretary of state candidates like the guy in Arizona, um, Doug Mastriano. Not the guy in Georgia. Not the guy in Georgia. That's why he won. Yeah, exactly. Doug Mastriano losing in Pennsylvania. You had Democrats uh, maintain power or take power in a lot of important state offices that deal with elections in Arizona and Nevada and Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania um, that are going to make it really difficult for Trump to pull or whoever the Republican nominee is, but I think it's Trump. They're going to make it pretty difficult for them to pull any funny business in 2024. Whereas had these people won, had people like Mastriano won in Pennsylvania and all these uh, bizarro secretary of state candidates in a lot of these swing states won, then it pretty much would have locked the election up for, for Trump, right. no matter what happened, no matter right. who people cast votes for in 2024. So that was, I guess, a kind of a, a big deal for the, uh, must save American democracy crowd is that, you know, never mind that American democracy is like already terminal before Trump and Republicans <laughs> went full on anti anti democracy. But it it will be difficult to pull a blatant fix of the twenty twenty four election like they would have wanted to uh mm-hmm. if they were in power. Yeah. And I mean I, I think I wanted to like address something that you know, were saying about voters being more conservative. I think it's you know in some places that might be true, but I think that Taking some, taking a lot of voters because it is important to mention that yes, there's been like an increase, a large increase of people who are in the suburban professional class in the Democratic Party, but overwhelmingly still, if you look at the median and mean income in the, in the Democratic Party compared to the Republican Party, the Democratic Party is still for the most part a party supported by working people. Oh yeah, and 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 so I I think when voters like like people who voted for say like oh yeah I want universal health care but then they vote for Biden. I think part of what's going on is like I think there's all of voters are making like a like a you know kind of what you said Aaron like a, like a calculus of sorts of like no I mean I want this mm-hmm. but I know that like there's like this aspect that I don't want Trump to be there I want the person most likely to get them out but then mm-hmm. also yes I agree with some a lot of stuff that Bernie said but I don't necessarily think that he can be Trump but also I don't think he can maneuver to try to get the things that he wants, given where things are right now. And I don't necessarily mm-hmm. think that that's a totally wrong analysis. 
Mm, well, I mean, like, you know, I think that I think that we we've talked about this, Jorge, before. And maybe Sam, maybe you've thought about this. And I mean, I thought, like, is is the country ready for Sanders, right? Like, let's say he had, I mean, this is different from the midterms, but just in terms of even a progressive like challenger or progressive candidate for the presidency. Like, like I think he wins everything, right? Well, I mean, like well, well the thing is, is like in people's minds, like my mom. It wasn't that she didn't like his ideas, but if he got elected, right. would he be able to get them done? And we all know here that it's not about like his actual accomplishments, but about pushing that needle in conversation, right? But that's like we're weird, right? Like a lot of people don't think like that. Like they're thinking like day to day to day. And for the immediate like like a fear for again people like my mom was like, and not that my mom is a resistance liberal, she's always been a Democrat, but I think like you were saying, Sam, you can't trust these people, man. Because these people will immediately jump ship the minute that the boogeyman, right? Not even Mitch McConnell, but Donald Trump himself. Because Mitch McConnell is also a boogeyman, but he's always there. He's like a staple. They can deal with him. They'll be like, oh, well, we have if we have the Senate, we can have Democrats that can corral him and handle him. But Trump is like a demon to these people. And once he's out of the picture, we'll really see how like their loyalties, I guess not loyalties, but like proclivities lie when it comes to redistributed politics. Because a lot of these people are against that shit, you know? Yeah. They are, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, and I say this as someone who totally bought into and promoted 2016 and 2020 Bernie campaigns. Um, yeah. But in retrospect, I feel like maybe uh, we all fell for this idea that it would be that easy when it's not that easy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like there hasn't been near uh, enough work put into... Uh, organizing working class voters to support a candidacy like and Bernie's not you know Bernie is a pretty milk toast social democrat right exactly. like we're not yeah, even exactly. getting close to the sort of radical political figures we would need mm -hmm. to excite us like Bernie's like a step to the left of the democratic party yeah, and yeah. he's like right. a toe dip in the water a little toe dip in the water a little we're, we're not we're not we're, we haven't prepared enough even for that sort of candidacy to succeed yeah. electorally yet. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's why, like, I'm a bit skeptical of Bernie running again. <laughs> like, no, I, please like, don't. I, I, no. I, like, I was, you know, I was ride or die the first two times and I would, I'm not on board for a third time. And I think, like, and, and I, part of that is, like, you know, would it, w w back to your original question of, like, you know, would Bernie winning have done anything or, you know, what would that have looked like? And I've seen nothing from Bernie and his willingness to, or unwillingness to disrupt the democratic party. Right. That would suggest he'd be willing to like disrupt the entire capitalist system, like the ruling class right. stranglehold yeah. in any way. If he's not willing to like make fun of Joe Biden or to like, He's my good friend. Run negative good ads friend Joe Biden. against Joe Biden for the sake of party unity in the Democratic Party or whatever. I like. I think you know. I I feel silly thinking that like his him being elected president would have immediately ushered in yeah like yeah. the cover of, democracy. of like the, the <laughs> Jacobin cover. You know. <laughs> 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 I, I do. Uh. I, I do think it's important to think about because even if you believe you know socials won't happen either through elections or some other means or, you know, some combination, like whatever you might think. One, it's like, yes, it's to, something to point to in terms of organizing, in terms of built power. Power must be built, right? So it, it can only happen from the building locally and then moving on forward. But then also it's like, 
you know, to your point, Aaron, it's like, oh, we put them in there, push the needle. The thing is, the problem is Democrats could do that. Republic, like liberals can do that. Conservatives can do that. Basically, anyone who supports capitalism can do that. We have one shot. If, if, if someone goes in there and doesn't like really push it or yeah, kind of fails, then it's going to ruin it for like a generation. I really, yo, I really do well, think about that too, man. Like, like just real, like if we shoot our shot and like, but that's why, again, I think like to think it eases my mind when I realize like, and Jamie's question probably goes in this too. It eases my mind realizing that this is like mostly all spectacle and that like you were saying, Sam yeah. earlier, the real work is being done on the ground every day. And that's like, I mean, the only way we win is through struggle, right? Not through these, not through the circus of fucking ele- elections, right? Yeah. That, you know, do a little harm reduction, but I always make the analogy. It's like, would you rather your hand cut off or a finger cut off one by one, right? Yeah. Like, I guess I would rather take the finger one yeah. by one. Yeah. Right. Also, like, okay, we got to remember, these things don't always move in a straight line, yep. right? Because, uh, you know, I got very used to being sort of browbeaten by liberals in my time at the Majority Report, saying, <laughs> well, you know, you're calling for a revolution. You're calling for a workers' revolution, Jamie. You can't even get people to vote for your fucking candidate, Bernie Sanders. Like, what hope do you have of getting people to revolt? That's a pretty good to burn, which not I say, lie. Like, yo, it is a fair point on one level, but on another, we're talking about two completely different things. And yeah. most people's politics and most people's behavior does not progress on a neat line from yeah. like what we would consider the right side to the left side of the political spectrum, right? For instance, um, we just had a huge fucking uprising in 2020, mm-hmm. the largest one in American history. Uh, tons and tons of people many of whom I am guessing do not vote because most of them were young. Um, And also there were plenty of prison uprisings and, you know, a lot of people in prison cannot vote. Uh, Just taking radical actions against the police and the state. And, you know, maybe it didn't have explicitly communist content for all of the participants, but it certainly pointed in some very uh, radical, shall we say, left populist directions independently of the electoral sphere. So, yeah, I just want to I just want to kind of make the case for uh for our perspective uh and not letting these uh these kinds of politics, you know, suck all the air out of the room and become too much of a distraction mm-hmm. from, you know, other openings that may really exist. Yeah. We're on the winning side, I think, Jamie. Like, at the fact that some that everybody, like, a good example is the defund the police thing. Or, like, the fact that everybody had to react to it is a sign that we are moving. They're reacting to us, not the other way around. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I mean, I'll be the pessimist here more so because I'm always the doomer here. I mean, like, you know, I'm not like I'm not counting struggle out because it's been heartening over the past couple of years during COVID, especially to see the mass unionization and strikes and whatnot. But it's like, I mean, like I think about January 6th a lot. And I think about the fact that why are these people so pissed off? Like they really just want to make this country more of what it already is. And mm-hmm. like, I mean, even the student debt relief. Right. Like and this is like, you know, this is in a case where I have to be like, well, I mean, like the Republicans, I mean, Biden, I mean, sure. I don't I see. I don't know how, what to the extent of more what more he could have done. But I know he tried to do something. And immediately, because of the way our institutions are set up, right. it had it's being shot down in court. So I even think about what is this dude even able to do 
within the constraints, right? If we were talking about Bernie earlier, much less Joe Biden, within the constraints of a bourgeois electoral system. And uh, I guess that's why, again, you know, we were, we just like, it's a struggle, man. It's people in the streets. I, I have a lot of hope when I do think about the uprising and I think about what went on in the pandemic, the sort of class consciousness that we saw. But um, yeah, you're right, Jamie. I think people that gets all obfuscated under these elections, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I think uh, th- they can't do much within the system. I mean, Biden could definitely do more, um, especially mm-hmm. on the student loan thing. He he could have like just burned that thing to the ground and then dared the courts to make him pick up the ashes oh, uh, of, really? of the could student he, loan program. Sure, I mean he could do I mean, anything, right? Yeah, like, he's that was president. like the he's Trump. That was like the Trump theory of the presidency, and it's pretty much withheld for four. It pretty much up, was upheld for four years. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, just to Jorge's point, I mean, candidates are still smeared as the next McGovern. So, you know, it's like the, when given sh- the chance to like be in the spotlight as a figure of the left and McGovern, not mm-hmm. that, you know, even that radical of a figure still, you get blown out in an election and you get painted that for the next 50, 60 years, all all left mm-hmm. candidates get painted that way. Um, but given how, can, yeah, we can't, the left can't be looking for presidents to to enact communism that's not going to happen perhaps what we need to be doing is looking for guys who would be willing to negotiate the end of capitalism when you put enough pressure on them (laughs) like who are the (laughs) guys that'll be like willing to sign the treaty when it comes down to it and maybe bernie was one of those guys we just aren't uh in the process to like yeah i mean maybe you know maybe she is but like we need to like build the pressure outside that like will eventually force these people to be like okay i'll 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 react and you know hopefully if we ever get to that moment similar to when we were in moments like that in the 19 early 1930s uh you can go all the way you know not like take half measures I'm so glad that you brought that up because that was sort of one of my final questions was going to be, you know, what, if any, role does the electoral socialist left or could it play in the, you know, the final showdown that we believe is coming if we're going to save the world. I mean, that's what we're all talking about, pretty, right? Pretty it's, it, I mean, it's going to look like shot. general strikes and occupations, but you know, wh- however we get to that point, it's we're a long way, a long way from it. But we are, I would say we are closer to it than we were a year and a half ago. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah, man, no, you know, not know. like by leaps and bounds, but uh, yeah. we've arrested the sort of decline in, mm-hmm union organizing and uh that's something i guess to and i think much further <laughs> yeah, yeah it is and, something and it i mean much further than a decade ago i mean like socialism is back like it's it's here it's mainstream and yeah, yeah. Like, it's not it's, it's not going away yeah 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 i mean okay i i looked up a stat the other day that i found somewhat cool if not you know unreservedly encouraging for my kind of politics, Mm. which is that I think as of 2018, we have the most self-identified socialists in Congress uh, of any point in American history. And I was like, 
damn, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. I feel like we get into these uh, modes where we just assume we're always losing and everyone hates us, but that's not necessarily true. No, no. And, and, and also too, I just think the, like the historical moment and the pressures, I mean, like I've talked to conservatives down here who without the packaging of, you know, this is socialism, like, you know, do right. you believe that like people deserve healthcare? And would you be for like a government run healthcare system? When you put it in a certain phrasing, that's not fear mongering, right? Like people are on board with this. And it's like, I mean, yeah, man, I, I guess again, to be like, you know, kind of pessimistic and I guess I'll shut up here. It's just like sort of we're at this moment now, this historical juncture where things can go only one of two ways, right? And it's whichever... Not socialism party, or barbarism. But go ahead. What'd you say? Socialism or barbarism. It's yeah, socialism or barbarism, right? And like, dog, I think about this as a black man, son. I'm like, yo, bro, I believe there's 20 to 25% of white people in this country, or just even mostly white people, obviously, who would straight up just be down for like the boot on their neck authoritarianism. And I'm like, how can like the Republicans, are they going to repackage this to call themselves the, uh, the, the party of the working class? To, to kind of be indebted into the civic nationalism where it doesn't really matter what skin color you are, even though it does. Like, I mean, you're seeing people like Enrique Torres or whatever, right? Fucking running the Proud Boys and shit, you know? They're people having people like Herschel Walker. And like, you know, as a black communist, I'm sitting here like, man, like when the race war comes, no, I'm kidding. But like, I have to seriously kind of think about like, how do we maneuver in this situation right now? But I mean, you know, I guess that's a struggle, right? Yeah, it will be difficult making the list when the race war comes. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, I got you. I got all of y'all. Listen, all of you guys are on my team, okay? You're on my team. Good to hear. Uh, I, like, I like to think that the Jews would wind up on the right side of the race war. I feel like uh, the ones who'd be on the wrong side sort of have an outsized platform. Yeah. But we'll see. Yeah, I would like yeah, to I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> So from elections to race war, that was a that was a great uh, that was a great conversation, Sam. <laughs> um, I guess uh, uh, before we uh, before we let you go, natural well, progression, you, <laughs> natural progression, socialism or barbarism. Uh, what, what do you have to plug for people to listen to, brother? Find you at? Oh uh, well, uh, you can catch me doing Means Morning News every Tuesday through Friday at Means.tv. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you can subscribe to for $10 a month, or if you want to pay whatever you can afford, you can just uh, message the Means crew and get it for whatever you want. And uh, also we do a weekly podcast, District Sentinel Radio, with Sam Knight, who uh, I've been working with covering uh, news out of Congress and the White House and the executive agencies and the courts here in D.C. for... uh, 10 years now, going on almost 10 years now. So uh, people can check that out uh, wherever you get your podcast, District Sentinel Radio. Hell yeah, hell yeah. And um, yeah, guys, really, uh, I could say subscribe to Means TV. I mean, I don't watch, I mean, I've never watched cable news, never have really. Um, but, you know, in podcasts sometimes, because I do podcasts, so I don't really listen to it anymore. But Means Morning News, I make sure that um, every morning, if not every other morning, I have my weed, I have my coffee. And then I listen to me in the morning news and I feel like I have a better, more realistic sense of the world than I would have if I watched MSNBC or CNN or whatever. So uh, definitely subscribe. Well, thank you for that. That's a good plug. Just make it part of your morning routine. Yes. Make it part of your morning routine. And um, thanks so much again, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. Hell yeah. yeah. I'm sure we'll all get to talk again real soon. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, especially with the Georgia Senate. Oh, God, I'm going to think about it. All right.
<laughs> all right, everybody. All right. Until next time, remember, I'll, um, do the thing. Who should I? Who should I? Oh, sorry. I'm not sure if you guys. Have, is there a sign out? I was going to talk business. <laughs> yeah, we're signing out now. We're uh, good. Oh, you kind of. Jorge was trying to oh, do, so do it. Do it again, Jorge. Okay.